You're listening to Citizen Reporter number 402 for the 4th of December 2011. The topic today is informal learning, something that feels very connected to the themes of DIY and making your own home and all the topics that come up in this podcast that you don't often hear about in the mainstream press because it's not sexy enough or it's not doesn't sell whatever the case we do it here on this podcast and i'm very glad to bring you this very special guest so let's go taking pictures of the man from god anything that a politician can run on anything that somebody can get a promotion on and as soon as you invent that statistical category 50 people in that institution will be at work trying to figure out a way to make it look as if progress is actually occurring when it actually no progress is. You suppose you swap the blood for wine, like you swap yours for ink for ink. That's why there's musical prodigies. You know, there is Mozart, there's no equivalent to Mozart writing. Because even if you were that innately talented, you would still have to know something to write it down. Especially from you, from you. The weight of all those willing words I carried all along. You wouldn't put your pen to bed when we hadn't found our own, our own. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. Uh, I'm talking today with a friend, which always makes for a better conversation than the people I don't know. Uh, and the subject is one that also interests me a great deal. It's informal learning or informal education. Um, to join me to talk about this, uh, a subject very close to her heart, um, I'm joined by Keo Stark, writer, uh, teacher. She's the author of Follow Me Down, a novel that was released this past summer. And she's currently working on a project called Don't Go Back to School, a handbook for independent learning. Keo, welcome to the program. Hi, thank you very much. So uh, you and I uh, have known each other a little while now, uh, um, and I've followed your work online, uh, although I still haven't read your novel, so that's something to work on. But you really, <laughs> you really caught my attention uh, the last month or so when I saw the Don't Go Back to School project. And, and, and right away, there it is in, in black and white or whatever colored text, a handbook for independent learning. Um, you, from what I know of you, you've been through a lot of institutional learning, um, but it seems like you, I don't know, doing that, you somehow discovered that you actually, you see great value in the non-institutional learning. Yeah, um, I mean, the, the quick version of this is that I'm a, I'm a grad school dropout, um, and I, I also teach at a graduate program right now, so I'll talk about the first part first, which is um, I went straight to a, a graduate program at Yale after college, um, in American studies, which is a very interdisciplinary kind of area. Um, and I, I went for two years, I dropped out, I went back, uh, and I did the part of it where you're really um, actually self-educating, which is preparing for your comprehensive exams. So mm -hmm. I spent a year basically just reading on my own. Um, you know, I think I had to read about 400 books. You, you, you choose fields. Um, you get the approval of an advisor on what books go on the list for each field. And then you read, and then they, they test you on it. Mm -hmm. um, and that is the only part of the experience uh, that really, really, really made me feel like I had gotten an education. And I realized that I had done that myself. 
for the most part. Um, I dropped out because I didn't want to be a professor and I figured out very, I'm a little slow. So I figured out very slowly and late in the game that having a PhD in something like American studies is basically a professional school to be a professor. And I started it in it very young. I just didn't feel done learning. Um, so it, when I got to the point in my dissertation where I was having some disagreements with my advisor about the way that the writing was happening, I didn't want to start over. Um, so I realized I could just walk away from it. Um, and, you know, I had gotten my education. Yeah. And we, I mean, I think we've grown up in a time where, you know, you call yourself... Uh, a grad school dropout. I'm sure if we played with language, we could call you something more positive, right? Like if dropout is a negative word, if it is. But um, it seems like we've grown up in an era where that's a negative. You know, like when probably, what, 10 to 20 years ago, high school dropout was a bad thing. You didn't want that. So so more and more people were, were really focused on, you know, at least make it through high school. Now right. we live in the era where it's almost automatic, or it feels automatic, in, especially in the U.S., that people go to college or university. Mm-hmm. Um, I was kind of curious, like, what you remember with the self-taught people in your life. Like, for me, it feels like we had older people, senior citizens who would say, you know, self-made, uh, self-taught. Mm-hmm. And then came, like, I don't know, a generation in between. I don't want to blame my parents. But they were not the self-taught types. Um, I don't know. Like, do you see an ebb and flow or, of any kind when it comes to informal learning versus formal learning? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, I think... Part of it is that, you know, going to college became the the sort of means to enter the middle class and to preserve status as middle class in this country. And after World War II with the GI Bill, that was really, really opened up to a much wider field of people. Yeah. Um, and so the expectation of becoming middle class and having a middle class kind of job uh, became a much wider expectation. So, you know, in, in terms of our parents and their orientation towards school, I think it's really understandable um, because of the associations with that. Um, that has turned out to be kind of a false promise, you know, uh, and there's a there's the idea of an education bubble um, and that we're educating more people than we have uh, jobs to support a middle-class existence. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's part of the historical trajectory. Um, I grew up in a house with an uncle who was very self-taught. I mean, he actually dropped out of college. Um, and he learned all kinds of things all the time on his own. And so, you know, from I, I had a model from very early on that anything you wanted to learn, you could pretty much figure out. Um, for him, it was things like woodworking or you know, uh, working with solar energy, making jewelry. Um, he lived in the squats on the Lower East Side, so, you know, they had to learn how to do house construction to keep their building from falling down. Um, so, it, you know, things that are that are more traditionally working class and things that, that are more kind of intellectual labor were both the kinds of things that you could learn on your own uh, in the examples that I had. Yeah, yeah it feels like um, in some of the communities that you and I... Uh, have a good amount of contact with, and I'm thinking of the hackers, but not only. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, even the uh, the gorilla knitters, you know, if I can throw them in. Um, sure. We're talking about 
an, uh, what looks like a, a rise in people who teach themselves. And, of course, they have an advantage of a tool in this generation that is the Internet. I mean, you know, you want to know how to do something? Well, you could start on YouTube and check for who's teaching it, right? So, yeah. so I think that's another advantage of this generation. I mean, if there really is uh, uh, a rise in this, which might just be me, you know, in my circles, that it, it looks like there is. Uh, you know, I think it's hard because I think you're absolutely right. In the circles that we move in, there are definitely more people teaching themselves things. But, you know, in terms of overall American culture, um, I think that it's really hard to say that it's a trend, but it's definitely a trend that people are getting frustrated with uh, formal education. Um, you know, in the response to the book project that I put up on Kickstarter, I'm getting so much mail from people uh who are saying, you know, I dropped out or I'm thinking about dropping out. Uh, you know, this isn't doing anything for me. There's, a, there's other people writing about this. Um, there's Anya Kamenetz, uh, who has um, a book called DIY Ed. That's, that's really about the idea that um, college isn't, the economics of going to college don't work out anymore. Um, and so she's encouraging people to learn on their own because of uh, not spending the money. Um, I think college is a great thing if you can afford it, uh, if somebody's paying for it for you, if it's not going to put you in a hole, you know, go. It's a great experience. It's wonderful to have access to brilliant professors who want to tell you what they know. Um, you know, having access to the library is great. Um, but I'm trying to set something up for people who either don't have that or who want to do it on their own. And the the thing that I'm finding is that you know there there are sort of structures that school provides for you things like access to resources access to experts um, and the most important one is access to a learning community and because of the internet those are things that you can find more easily now on your own um, so that's you know I'm interviewing people who've been doing that to find out how they do it yeah yeah as you're speaking like I'm thinking about the thing I liked and and sort of cherished most about having been a university student, um, and, and, and for me it was here as well as uh, back in the U.S., here being Amsterdam, uh, and that's, that's you're right, that's the people, the both in terms of the teachers and as well as my, like, the fellow students who, you know, were either inspiring or um, fun to work with and, and that is something that I do find in my internet life as well. Just like back when I was in school, there are these people that I find that I stick with them or I ask questions and I learn from. I do see that, yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I think we're living in a time where sharing is becoming a more important kind of currency. And so people are more willing to share information and knowledge with strangers uh, because they're curious. Um, you know, a lot of the people I interviewed uh, so far... One of the questions is, you know, what do you do when you get stuck, when you need an expert? And they all say, I just called someone, you know, <laughs> like I just found out who knew that and called them up. And and they were usually really flattered and happy to talk to me. Mm. Um, and I think that that's a it's a real lesson. Like, you know, there are going to be very, very busy people at the top of their profession who won't have time to talk to you. But you'd be surprised at um how generous people are with their time and their knowledge when you ask them in the right way. Yeah. Yeah, that, that kind of answers one of my questions that I had down the line, which is sort of, 
You've mentioned that in doing this book, in doing the interviews with the people um, who, who are working and, and sort of, not experts, but maybe I can use that word, experts in uh, informal learning, um, that they would share some tips and tricks. And I was kind of curious about what kinds, you know, you haven't done all the interviews yet, but I'm curious of like the kinds of tips and tricks you're, you, you have in mind. And I, I guess the answer to that is, is sort of ways to keep yourself, when you hit a wall, to get past it, um, and, and, and to, yeah, to face challenges. Yeah. I mean, it's everything from the, the, the big stuff about motivation down to, you know, if you, uh, so in the U S if you live in a town that has a state university, um, then you have public access to that very good library, whatever good library they have. Mm -hmm. If you don't, or if the good library is at a private school, there's a great trick that I learned from someone, uh, which is if that library has a government document center, which most of them do, then they actually have to let you into that private library, uh, even if technically it's for students only. Yeah. Um, so you can go to the, you know, the security desk and say you want to use the government document center and they'll write you a pass and then you have access to that library for the whole day. So you could spend every weekend at, you know, for example, if you're in New York at NYU library, uh, using their resources and reading their books by being somebody who's interested in using the government document center. Hmm. Yeah. This kind of reminds me of the fact that, you know, I, I sometimes want to read uh, academic research for an article and I don't have access to any of that anymore because right. I'm not affiliated with the university. But thanks to the magic of the Internet, I yeah. have so many people who are still in that world. And, you know, when I was, I didn't use the access that much. I used it when I needed it. They, right. they of course, instantly send me the article. I mean, it's no... Uh, it, right. it, it really helps. And not to say that this is something everybody can do, but we all right. do kind of know somebody who's a student. Right. Well, and I mean, I, you know, I think one thing that's really important, um, this is getting a little off track, but one thing that's really important is that, you know, the ability right now of people who are independent learners to do what they're doing does in some degree depend on the continued existence of the kind of university system. You know, a lot of people who are doing independent learning are using open courseware. And open courseware exists because there are universities that are sharing stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't want to say that universities should go away, but I do think that whatever way people have of agitating for them to open things up is really important. And, you know, scholarly publishing uh, as this cloistered thing that only people with university have access to, uh, that can't continue to exist that way. Um, mm -hmm. I, there has to be another way to fund it such that they can give open access to all of that scholarship. So that's something that really pisses me off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm actually, I'm working for a, um, one of my part-time jobs is a, um editor for a open um, academic journal uh, where all the all the content is, is available to the public and people always ask how do they fund themselves and to be perfectly honest I'm not 100% sure uh, yeah. so, so that doesn't help the, the subject right now but um, right. could be something for the future right. um, I want to talk about something uh, in case someone listening doesn't know what Kickstarter is and then I want to get into the details um, you know first of all I won't make you do it I mean Kickstarter is a place where if you have a project you can propose it and people, when they like the, the description and, and feel they, they would like to see this project become reality, they can fund it. Now, it, there's more details to it, but you chose to do your project on Kickstarter. I mean, have you done projects on Kickstarter before? Why did you, why did you choose it? 
It's a great question. Um, this is my first Kickstarter project. I, I am a published author. You know, I have a regular standard publisher and an agent. Um, and so I'm in that system. And it was very much an option for me to try to do this in the regular publishing system. Um, I chose to do it outside of that because the timelines on traditional publishing are about two to three years from the point where you put in a book proposal to the point where the book is available to people. And I really felt like this is something that's happening right now. And if this is going to be useful to people, I need to crank it out as quickly as I can. Mm -hmm. um, so, it, you know, Kickstarter was an alternative option for funding the, the writing of the book and the printing of it. Um, you know, normally with traditional publishing, <coughs> excuse me, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you get an advance of some size that lets you do the work of making the book and then you hand it over uh, to the publisher and they edit it and print it and distribute it. So I chose to do this on Kickstarter uh, because I wanted to get it going faster and because it's such a kind of community oriented project in the first place. I mean, in addition to funds, I really needed uh to put out as wide a call as I could to the whole universe of if you're self-taught, I want to hear from you. Um, mm -hmm. So the, using Kickstarter has really, because the word has gotten around so widely about the book, I've also gotten so many people writing to me saying they're willing to be interviewed about how they taught themselves different things. Mm. Yeah, um, and, and then there's this whole other aspect which I got to learn about because I actually uh, uh, clicked and and. and became a part of your project to fund it. Um, as I look down the list, and I think this is all customized by you, you're doing much more than, you know, proposing a book that will come out, and then the person who supports it may be able to get a copy if they've put up uh, this required amount of money. You're also saying this can also be, if you support this project, I'm going to provide uh, uh, services as an education or informal learning uh, consultant. Uh, so you're right. doing much more than just book publishing. Right. Well, Kickstarter lets you make up your own rewards. And, you know, with something like this, where it's basically a product, you know, the primary kind of reward is a copy of the book. There's a digital copy, there's a physical copy, um, you know, and, and then I have one where you can get a copy for yourself and a copy to donate to a library. Mm -hmm. um, but then, because the project actually came out of me having this conversation over and over and over again with so many people where they would come to me and say, you know, I'm thinking about going back to graduate school. What do you think? And we would have a long conversation about what they wanted to accomplish, why they thought they wanted to go to grad school for it. If there were other ways around that, you know, whether grad school was really necessary for the goal that they had. Um, I realized that I'm pretty practiced that at that conversation. So one of the high level rewards is, um, if you put in $200, you can have a private consultation with me about whether or not you should go back to grad school. And I do actually have a few people who signed up for that. Mm -hmm. um, well, not the consultation part, but when it comes to the one book gets donated to a library or even the publishing of the books, does Kickstarter um, make that possible? Or is this all of your own network and, and ability to get that stuff done? Um. The, the the actual printing of the book and everything. Sure. Yeah. No. That Kickstarter is really just the facilitator for uh, funding. So um, I have uh, the 
the graphic designer who designed my novel mm-hmm. is working with me. Um, he and his partner have experience in you know designing books and working with printers, so they're going to be doing that part of it. Um, the thing that you know is the most DIY here is going to be distribution beyond Kickstarter. So you know we will probably be able to print more copies than we need for backers, and so then we'll. I'm going to be learning to figure out, you know, how to sell books totally independently. Um, (laughs) And we'll see what happens with that. I mean, that's definitely the most experimental part for me. Okay. All right. Now, in reading comments and and the the various conversations on this project, I notice people asking you, even though it's not the focus of your book, um, if you're talking about and what you think about informal learning and alternatives to um, sort of mainstream school for children. Right. Um, and I, I'm, I'm sure at some point it's like you're interested, but you haven't, that's not your focus right now. But I want to ask you anyway, I mean, you have a little daughter and, and uh, here I am in Amsterdam and people around me have a lot of young children. And I know a lot of people who are asking me and asking each other, can I do something else besides the conventional uh, schools here for different reasons? Um, right. wh- where are you in terms of this topic? I mean, I almost want to ask you, even for your, the, you know, your daughter, um, what do you think? Yeah. <laughs> well, we live in New York, which is a horrible place for school. <laughs> yes. You know, there are some really, really great public schools, but in general, it's either, you know, a, a very underfunded, uh, overcrowded public school or a very expensive um, private school, and then you're sending your kid to school with rich kids. Um, if you can afford that or if you can get a scholarship for them there and you know like one of the things that I think is really important is just that that kids live in a world of variety and diversity Um, so the idea of sending my daughter to school with only very privileged people makes me really uncomfortable for a whole range of reasons Um, so yeah you know we've talked about whether we'll be in a position to homeschool her and I think what's amazing about homeschooling now is that it's a very strong community in a lot of places. So I have a friend in North Carolina who has four kids and, you know, she homeschooled all of them. But that means that every day they do a couple hours at home and then they actually go to a homeschooling community place where there are classes. And uh, so it's not it's not just like you're sitting in your house with your kid and they're never being exposed to any anybody besides you to learn from. Um, and that all sounds really fantastic to me. Um, it's not something that I know a lot about. And, you know, I definitely, with this book, I have had a lot of uh, homeschool people writing to me and wanting to know if I'm going to be addressing that. Um, for the time being, I'm really focusing on sort of college and graduate school and what you can do to, to replace those. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe the next book is going to be about homeschooling, but there's so much literature out there about homeschooling. Um, so that's a really different kind of field. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think this is something that's going to come up again later because, yeah, so many people are interested in this and they're facing that yeah. that decision also. Um, actually, <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say, for, you know, for either situation, for homeschooling or for self-education, I think the thing that I'm finding as I talk to people that's really crucial is forming a learning community or joining one. Um you know, one of the people I interviewed said, the first thing you got to do is take the auto out of autodidact. <laughs> um, and, I, you know, I think there are some people who are really good at, like, just locking themselves in their room and learning. And for those people, that's fantastic. But 
for most people, learning is something that happens socially and in, through communication. Um, and so what the internet has given us is a situation in which it's a lot easier to find other people to learn with. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, this is, you know, your work and, and these discussions have spilled over into like any party that I go to lately. And, <laughs> um, and I brought it up in front of some, um, some Dutch people and some Belgians and the Belgians brought up that actually in the sixties and seventies from the hippie movement, um, many people came together and formed alternative schools um, and alternative, uh, like, officially licensed schools. So I've gotten very curious, and I'm going to probably uh, venture to meet some of these people now, you know, uh, retired, to talk uh-huh. about um, what it was like and how it went. And I've even met a few people. Everybody seems to know somebody who went to one of these schools that was different in structure. and, and I went to one of those schools <laughs> in the U.S., yeah. I, my elementary school was was um, an independent school, and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a system. It wasn't a Steiner school or a Montessori school. It was some people, including uh, an early childhood education Ph.D., but also a lot of parents who got together and started a school. So. And you turned out all right. I seem to have, yeah, sort of. I, I once ran into the opposite logic. I had a cousin who had a, who had a child, and um, he turned to me and he said, uh, we've been thinking about something, he and his partner, and we want to run it by you. Uh, we want to send the child to a Jesuit or religious school. And I said, ugh. Why would you do that? And they said, well, you went to a religious school, and I did. I went to a Polish Catholic school in Newark. Terrible place, yet terribly fantastic in its terribleness. And, uh, and they said, yeah, and, and you've turned out, we, we like you. You know, we like how you've turned out. <laughs> I said, yeah. And they said, and, and my partner and I, we both went to religious schools where, you know, we have a lot of problems with how things went. And I said, yeah. It's like, so we're thinking if our child goes through the same negative experience, they'll turn out great. <laughs> That may be a really good strategy. I don't know. Yeah, this throws me off because it's like, oh, so we should just keep doing the same thing. I mean, I think in that case, you know, like maybe kids have to have something to resist. And so, you know, if the school rather than the family is the thing to resist, then maybe that's useful. Um, Yeah. I, I don't know. It's worth study. Yeah, definitely. You know, that that I mean, I went to an, you know, very much a crowded school with a lot of cliques and a lot of problems and and uh there's something about that that i kind of admire even though if i had a choice i would say don't 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 go through what i went through you know i didn't not to say it was a huge suffering but it just i came out i learned more outside of school than i did in school right Um, right well and i think that you know with kids the the other part of this that's so hard is that you know there are some kids who are gonna are curious and self-directed and have some confidence and are going to get what they need one way or another. And then there are kids who, you know, need a system and the system can really fail them, um, whichever kind of system it is. And I mean, having anything to say about early childhood education really frightens me because it's, I I feel like um, it's a much more complicated thing than adult learning is. Yeah, yeah. Well, you'll start with adult learning. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. so you've already started the interviews and, and that's what you're going to be doing. I mean, for the time, for the time yeah. to come, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I had done an initial batch of about 12 interviews, um, maybe a year ago. Um, and that, that was, at that point, I just thought I was making like a pamphlet. Um, and then everybody was so excited about it that I, 
you know, I kept thinking, I think this actually needs to be a more in-depth project. Um, so after I had the baby and kind of recovered my wits, uh, I, I launched the Kickstarter so that I could get back to work on it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm, you know, between email interviews and interviews that I'm doing over the phone, um, I'm probably going to interview at least 50 people. Um, not all of them will be featured in the book. Um, the, the book is definitely going to have profiles of some exemplary people um, to kind of give you both an inspiring story and some insight into their process. Um, but I'm gathering data on learning process from quite a few people. So, okay. All right. Well, Keo, I'm getting some, some interference on your side. Oh, wait, it went away. Okay. But either way, um, I want to make sure that people know if they just go to your website, uh, keostark.com, uh, right mm -hmm. on the front page at the moment, there's the link to the Kickstarter. Uh, congratulations, because you have uh, achieved the level of funding that you, the minimum level that you needed. And so from here on in, it's, I think it just helps uh, your project even more as people support you. Right, um, and this is currently the only way to get a copy of the book. So. Also, further uh, uh, inspiration, no, motivation, well, all <laughs> that. There's also Follow Me Down, which I have to get my hands on as well, and that's your novel that is available on Powell's Books, for the people who like Amazon, and, and various places online, and that's all to be found via your website. Uh, mm -hmm. So people can and should uh, follow that. And I'll be following you uh, via Twitter and uh, occasional real life when I can catch up with you. But it's really nice to have you on my show and to be able to share the stuff you're working on with uh, my audience. Um, thanks. Thanks so much. You've been listening to CitizenReporter.org, the podcast dedicated to underreported news. And Global Concerns, some final notes. Again, if you go to Kickstarter.com and search Don't Go Back to School, you'll find Keo, her work, her video explaining the project. I think it's something that touches on a lot of people's lives. And we brought up the topic of children as well for the future. I think a lot of people think about that when it comes to where their children will go to school. But mostly this is about yourself and what you have learned and could learn without having to pay the big money or go to the big school. Uh, so I hope this is interesting. I wonder if this doesn't lead to something more for you. I certainly hope so. Meanwhile, citizenreporter.org is where you go. My other content is available, video, audio, text, this coming week, I'm headed back to Kosovo, so look forward to programs related to that underreported place. Thank you very much for listening. See ya.